Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beechler of Beechler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beechler on PeoriaLife.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to The Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. My name is Greg McCoy. I'm the co-host, and I'm here with the hero of the show, Brett Beachler. How are you doing, Brett? I'm doing great. I don't know about the hero aspect of it, but... Not, a su- su- not feeling like a superhero today? Uh, you know, I do my best. <laughs> All right. Well, the subject of our talk today is do-it-yourself tips. Yeah, so I've, I've fretted over this as, as to whether or not... Uh, I present this information on the radio, uh, streamed radio, um, because I thought, well, this this might be detrimental to my business. You know, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? Bottom line is there are people out there in the demographics that are going to do it themselves. So um, why not help them in that arena? And after listening to some, you know, after I listed some of these items on here, I, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, the average person look at this and go, I don't want to do this myself. It's just too much work. <laughs> Um, too many things to think about, too many things that can go wrong when I'm doing this. So it's kind of meant to help educate those who don't want to do it and also educate those who are considering venturing into this aspect of it. So I'll dive right into it. So one thing I encourage people to do is start with simple repairs. Um, and what I mean by simple are you're, you're essentially there to gain your confidence to go, I can do that. I can do that. It's like, it's no different than home repair or anything like that. We don't start off with doing drywall, mudding, and taping um, on the first thing that we do in our house. Because to me, that mudding and taping is an artwork. Um, Skills like that are developed over time. And the same thing happens in the automotive industry too. So start with simple things like, you know, change a a simple set of wiper blades on a car. Um, Some blades are a little tricky to get off. Some, most are not. Um, That's why we don't even charge at our place to install wipers because it's literally a it's a 30 second procedure to do it. So start with simple wiper blades. You know, I've seen people get a little bit of confidence gain when they, when they install wiper blades on their car. Uh, rear wiper blades are a little bit trickier. Most vehicles are not designed to easily come off. Um, so you gotta be really careful because on the rear wiper blades, you can break the arm and you can instantly turn a $10 replacement or $20 replacement into about $120 repair breaking the rear arm. So you don't wanna force uh, that's one of the things you always want to have finesse when doing anything on a vehicle. Uh, most everything I should say, I've seen my techs have to force things because of the conditions around central Illinois and the Midwest because of the salt and the, the corrosion that's out there. So um, here's another uh, good one is replacing the air filter. That's a, actually a simple one on most vehicles, but I also have seen my technicians struggle with um, replacing air filters on cars sometimes take 10, 15 minutes because of the afterthought of design of the air filter housing. So, but most of the time air filters, and I'm sure Greg, you've changed it on your vehicles. Most of the time air filters are not overly difficult. I used to. You used to. Yeah. Yeah. The older cars, when they had the wing nuts come off the top of the air filter, um, 30 seconds, in and out in 30 seconds, but they don't have those anymore. It's usually tools that you need to simple tools that you need to remove the air filter. Um, one little caveat on air filters, um, 
just because you see a little bit of dirt on the air filter doesn't mean you necessarily have to replace it. So the true test is take a fluorescent light, put it behind the air filter. If you can see the light through the air filter, the air filter passes, put it back in. Does that make sense? Um, so a lot of people in our industry look at them and they see some dirt on the air filter and they go, oh my goodness, I'm sure their fuel mileage is being reduced by 40%, give or take. Um, that, that's not necessarily always true. So you can really push air filters. And I know a lot of, many GM vehicles anymore, actually in the owner's manual, require you to only change them every 50,000 miles. So depending upon your conditions, you can push that. Uh, you just don't need to go out and spend 20 or $30. Again, it's not much, uh, but you don't need to go out and spend 20 or $30 on an air filter. So headlights. Now this is an interesting one. I have, we've had numerous people come in the door with some headlights that are fairly simple, but lately some of the manufacturers, and I don't necessarily want to convict anybody, but some of the manufacturers are designing headlights um, in such a way that you either have to remove part of the bumper, um, which is kind of a technician angle because there's certain things that have to come off to remove the part of the bumper. Um, you have to remove part the wheel well. Uh, really? Yeah. To gain access behind the headlight. Um, some of them you have to remove the actual, I don't know if you know this, but the headlight assemblies are not glass anymore. Mm, they're I didn't, I didn't they're like that. a plastic. They used to be glass. They're trying to reduce weight on cars. So they got rid of the glass. Mm. The byproduct of that is those headlights actually do what they call oxidize. Okay. So it can actually get what they call crazing. Literally, that's a word crazing on the headlight assembly and it will impair light from coming out. The catch is you replace the bulb from behind in most vehicles. Okay. And just the, a little insert. It's just bulb. a little insert. Yeah. It's not very big. Um, but essentially what happens is they have a bunch of other components behind the headlight. And unless you have a little miniature hand that can get to these headlights, it's almost impossible to replace these things without removal of the, either the headlight, the bumper, or the, the wheel well. I had one yesterday. A lady came in and actually had a turn signal bulb that was housed left to the left of the headlight. And she says, hey, I bought my own bulb. And I said, okay, no, no problem. Um, can you replace this? And I looked at the car and I, I, I knew it was a challenge. And I said, okay, got to listen to me. This is not a five minute replacement. So I looked it up in the book um, and what we call the flat rate book. And it called for 1.1 hour wow. to replace a headlight. Now I look at that manufacturer and I go, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. You know, you take this very beautiful, elegant car and now you've got to turn this headlight replacement into a hundred to $150 replacement for a head or a, a turn signal headlight turn signal. didn't matter. Both of them had to be the same procedure. So I, I, when I see these things, I always warn people, look at simple things like headlight replacements on cars. If it takes you an hour to replace a headlight, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily purchase a vehicle because you're going to not want to do it. You're going to have to spend money to go in and replace a headlight that should cost you $20 to replace 15, 20, $25. And it turns out to be a hundred to $150. Little things like that to me add up. Now that's kind of interesting. I, I can remember back in the old days, if I remember mm -hmm. it correctly, to replace a headlight turn signal was a fairly large deal. He had to replace the whole unit and it was a big kind of clunky thing. And mm -hmm. then you put the headlight in, take the old one out. You may take a bunch of stuff off and then then he'd put it in and he'd align it and all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. Remember that? Yep. Then things changed to where you just did the plug-in thing on the back 
which was much easier. Yes. And I guess I then came away. I thought that's the way it was now. Although I do remember my son, when he brought his car into your place, there was one of the bulbs that was burnt out that you told him you're going to have to take off the bumper and all yes. that. And he said, well, okay. Yes. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So I it mean, looks like it's going back the other way now. It, 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 it is com- going back complex the other way. to simple. Now it's going back to complex. Yeah, but not on all vehicles. That's where I tell people there's hope out there because there are still manufacturers out there that see this and they go, you know, the average person should be able to replace a headlight on a car. Let's design this in such a way there's access, you know, three, four inches to the left and right and open access behind it. So, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill on this, but just kind of check the procedure when you're purchasing a car on simple things like headlights and air filters. Um, so just buyer beware. Back to the wiper blades, the newer cars, there are some wiper blades out there that are costing $30, $40, $50 a pair on a wiper blade. So be aware of that when you buy the car. It's like uh, there's a there's a few items that I always kind of list out for people, tires, wiper blades, um, air filters, headlights, how how much do they cost? You want to prepare yourself before you, you get into purchasing a car like that because you don't want to surprise, um, you know, when you're at the end of your budget or in the, in the end of the month, and you go, oh my goodness, it's, you know, $1,400 for these tires. They didn't tell me that when I bought it. So it's kind of like insurance. Exactly. You're thinking about buying a new car or another car, different type. Exactly. You probably should check with your uh, insurance guy before you buy that. Yes. Because you might get yes. a- Nasty surprise. Exactly. Okay, so here's another good do-it-yourselfer in some vehicles. Spark plugs. <laughs> um, you know, a couple things on spark plugs. Most vehicles, 100,000 miles. So you don't need to, we still see some overzealous people, you know, 30,000 miles in their car. They say, oh, I got to replace my spark plugs. No, you don't. Hold up. You don't need to replace them. Check your owner's manual. Most cars are going 90 to 105 to 120 on spark plugs. Uh, so take advantage of that technology that's in there. So. If you want to do it yourself, a couple things. You want to purchase a gapper that's a spark plug gapper that sets a gap in the spark plugs properly. There are some manufacturers of spark plugs out there that will actually pre-gap them. And they put a protective uh, coat on it so it doesn't adjust the gap during shipping and all that. Um, so keep an eye on that. Um, but you want to determine a spark plug replacement um, exactly the procedure time to do it because there are some vehicles out there that literally take my technicians three to four hours to replace spark plugs. Mm. And I, by no means I'm picking on do it yourselfers. I promise you, it will take you longer to do it. So mainly because of all the junk that you got. to Exactly. And you're not doing this every day. You know, it's kind of like home improvement pro- projects that I've endeavored into and I don't do it every day, but a guy that's professional comes in and does it in a third of the time that I do it. You really have to go back to how much is your time worth? You know, do you want to spend eight hours on a Saturday replacing spark plugs on your your wife's Honda Odyssey, or do you just want to take it into a professional organization and be able to do something else with your time? That's that's the equation I think everybody's got to solve for themselves. And some people just enjoy doing that. And some people do enjoy doing that. Um, so, but on the spark plugs, be careful with the spark plug wires. That's the component in the car that feeds the electricity to the spark plugs. Um, you can damage those things if they're not taken off and installed properly on spark plugs. So just be careful in that arena. And if you try to take one off and it's got a crack and the engine's running, I've noticed that before, you can have a a problem. You Mm -hmm. get a shock. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good point, Greg. Uh, I I take that for granted, but uh, don't ever grab a spark plug boot and or wire um, while the vehicle is running because there's a lot of voltage running through those that's feeding the electricity into the, it'll, it'll shock you. Yes. Much more than the fence on the farm. I found that out. Yeah. Yeah, it'll definitely <laughs> shock you. So, Okay, so here's a popular one. Uh, changing the oil on your car. 
you know, we get a handful of guys that come in and they change oil in their car and it, it's okay. Um, it, you know, one thing I do encourage them to do about every 20,000 miles, send it into an ASE technician so they can inspect things on the car. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about a couple of the procedures on oil changes um, that you want to pay pretty close attention to. So you're draining the oil um, into a container. And once the oil's all drained out, you put the spark plug, or not the spark plug, I'm still in the spark plugs. You put the oil drain plug back in. Whatever you do, do not over torque the spark plug or the, the oil drain plug. Because what can happen is um, a lot of cars have what they call aluminum oil uh, drain pans, okay, and aluminum threads. And what can happen is if you over torque that aluminum thread, the female, the male into the female, you can actually pull out the threads of the aluminum drain pan. Okay. When that happens, that's not a good thing because the drain plug is not going to catch in place and you're going to have an oil leak. And then there's only one of two options to correct that problem. You can either take it to a skilled mechanic. They install what they call a Zert inside and then they re-thread it. Typically 75 to 100 $125 to do something like that. If that is not a valid option, viable option, that mechanic then has to take the oil drain pan off of the car and put a new one on. Typically two to four hundred, I've seen them five hundred dollars because of cross members and things that get in the way that that increase the the procedure time to do this. So is there a standard torque? Yes. Every the- car's got a standard torque to it. Um, and my guys learn that torque and it become, becomes a muscle feel over time. You don't have a torque wrench that does it? No, we don't have a torque wrench that does it. Um, but it becomes, you really don't, I did oil changes back in college. It, it's not rocket science, but you don't want to put this thing on standing, you know, pulling your weight up off the ground, for example. That would be way too much torque. And I promise you're going to damage something. So not worth it. So mm-hmm. literally when I did it, I would, once it made contact, it was no more than a, usually no more than a quarter of a turn. Mm-hmm. You're not taking another turn because you will damage it. So same thing applies, by the way, I'm sure you know this, applying the oil filter. You are correct. <laughs> Is that Next coming up? on my list was the <laughs> oil filter. So one of the things when you're draining the oil filter, you're going to make a mess. Okay. Because typically oil filters are, they're housed above the frame of the vehicle. Um, no matter how good you are, you're, you're going to make a little bit of a mess. So have some cleaning ag- agent to clean up that frame. Otherwise, you're probably going to get an oil drip down the road. So take the oil filter off. Okay. One thing you want to absolutely make certain of is make sure the, the surface on the block of the engine that the oil filter just came from is clean. Okay. You want to take a towel. You want to make sure that the old gasket from the old filter did not stay adhered onto the, the, the surface. Because what happens is if you put the new filter with gasket on there onto the old gasket and you didn't check for the old gasket, you will have what they call a, an oil filter blowout. You'll literally send oil between the two gaskets and you will make a mess and possibly do damage to your engine. So make sure that surface is clean. The other item is when you're torquing the oil filter, typically once that oil filter makes contact, you go about a half a turn. Um, we, we've had many cars in our shop that come from either other shops or somebody else did the oil change and that person completely over torqued the oil filter and over time it kind of bakes on there and we've had to bring in air hammer tools to get oil filters off because of somebody's over torquing of the oil filter 
And I say that not out of us going, please stop. It's, I say that out of the next time you change your oil, you will not be able to get it off. You'll have to take it into a shop if you've over-torqued it and pay somebody to remove that oil filter. So I know it feels good because you just want to make sure everything's really tight on, but one half a turn is all it takes once that oil filter makes contact. The other bad thing that can happen to you if you over-torque it mm-hmm. is that the seal, you could you can push the seal out to the mm-hmm. point where after you put it under mm-hmm. load, you're going down the highway at 65 miles an hour and it pushes out and you have a blowout. It could. It could. That happened to me. I haven't seen that. Did it? I haven't seen that in a long time, but it it could happen. It happened to me. Um, I've seen that more with the double double gasket deal. So, okay. Uh, Next one. Fill oil with the proper amount. Um, Basically, what you want to do is look in your owner's manual and find out exactly how much oil your car takes. Don't guess at it. Um, I've seen cars that take literally 3.9 quarts, 4.2 quarts, 4.8 quarts. 4.9 4.9 quarts. There's not always an even five quart or four and a half or four quarts. It's not always that way. So make sure you don't want to overfill your oil. You obviously don't want to underfill your oil either. Um, so check your owner's manual and see how much oil it takes. The other thing is make sure you know which type of oil goes back into your crankcase of your engine. Um, I've seen people just pull oil off the shelf and it, it will sustain it. It will do it okay. It will perform okay. But the manufacturers, for example, want a specific oil in there for a reason. And that's for engine uh, running as long as they can and fuel economy. That's Those are the two reasons for it. So make sure if your car calls for 0W20, put 0W20 in it, period. Don't deviate, okay? Um, one thing I did fail to mention is a good investment if you're going to do your own oil changes is have a pair of ramps. Um, I've done this before myself when I lived in different states and I knew how to do things. And I thought, you know, might as well, might as well do it. I've got the skill to do it. Um, but invest in ramps, they're super solid, they're super safe, and it allows you to do things under the car that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. With the ramps, it allows you to do things like inspect the CV boots. And what a CV boot is, it's a constant velocity boot that encases the grease around your front drive axles. So most cars are equipped with front wheel drive, as everybody knows. But on these drive axles, there are two boots per axle. There's one on the ins- two on the inside, two on the outside. The outside ones get the most wear and tear. You will see those because they have to flex every time your vehicle turns. Um, Once a a crack develops, it releases grease and then your lubrication for those joints goes away. Okay. So you want to get those boots replaced as as fast as possible. Most anymore though, we're seeing that CV drive axles are just as inexpensive as the boot itself and the labor time to do it. So um, if you got a cracked boot, you're either going to replace a boot or replace a drive axle. Hmm. Not terribly expensive, but it will happen. On that, front it sounds cars. expensive. It's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> relatively speaking, um, it'd be a very difficult do-it-yourself procedure um, because the tools and, and skills required to do that. Um, but typically speaking, two to $300. So about, the, about a car payment, maybe a little bit less sometimes. So inspect the CV boots. Okay, next, inspect the inside and the outside of the tire wear. Most people inspect the outside of the tire wear. But the nice thing about doing an oil change hoisted on ramps or having somebody else do it is they can inspect the inside tire wear because like I've mentioned on previous shows, I don't know how many times I've, we've looked at tires and said, yeah, they look good. And then the technician hoists it and looks at the inside of the tire and there's something wrong with the control arm to where the inside of the tire is wearing. You got steel cords sticking through. Hmm. Um, but if the car's up on the ramp, check the inside of the tires and make sure they're wearing okay. Cause if you've got some abnormal wear, uneven wear on the tires, you've got some kind of alignment issue or some kind of um, uh, suspension steering issue in the car that needs to be 
taken care of as soon as possible. Otherwise you're going to wear tires out really, really quickly. Okay. Inflate tires. We've talked about this many, many times. Do not look at the side of your tire and the side of your tire usually says inflate up to 44 pounds. Okay. That's the tire manufacturer telling the car manufacturer, here's our tire. Here's how much you can inflate our tire up to. Don't go beyond it. But with that said, you do what you want. Uh, most manufacturers are 30 to 35 pounds. Look on your door, uh, placard, um, inside the, most vehicles are, I would say over 90% of the vehicles, the tire pressure is on the inside of the driver's door pillar. So that's where you check. Okay. Mm-hmm. And inflate the tires when they're cold. Um, don't do them when they're super hot and you just got off the, you know, Indy 500 and mm-hmm. tires are three times the temperature they should be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fill fluids. Uh, make sure you're filling the proper fluids in the proper place. I can't tell you how many times I've had do-it-yourselfers come in my door and say, hey, I put coolant inside my washer solvent tank. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. And what do I do? So you, you've got to extract them. It's not a major deal, but it's a pain. Buy a new car. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but it is not a major deal. But, you know, things like getting washer solvent inside the coolant. Um, that's an infraction of the coolant. So essentially what we have to do in those situations is if it didn't um, um, get into the rest of the system, we can extract it with, we've got a sucking machine. Um, but if it did, you've got to change it all out um, and it's not worth it. So make sure the fluids are respective to each fluid that's that it's going into the system. Okay. Inspect all lights. Um, unless you've got a reflective garage door, um, I would have somebody back there checking the brake lights. Otherwise, you can check all of your lights. Um, turn your hazards on, your parking lamps, your hazards, your parking lamps, turn your headlights on, high and low beam, check all your lights, make sure everything's operating. You got, you've got mar- lights that mark the corner of the car at night that a lot of people don't pay attention to um, because they're little tiny bulbs that are about the size of the end of my pinky. Um, so make sure you're checking those lights too. Okay, so we got the lights, uh, wipers, you want to check for tears or what they call in the bake position where one side is cooked in one position because of the sun. Um, usually you get a chattering symptom on wipers when that happens. Time to change your wipers. They're done. Okay, we talked about the inspect the air filter, the belt. Uh, most vehicles are equ- equipped with one belt anymore. It used to be two, three, four belts. Um, the manufacturers have come along, put what they call a serpentine belt in the car. What you're looking for is six cracks per inch in the belt. Okay, if you've got a little inch area of the belt and you see six cracks, it's time to replace the belt. Those can be a little bit trickier because some vehicles have what they call engine mounts that have to be removed in order to gain access to removal of the belt. Um, That's where I encourage people, try not to do it yourself because you actually have to hoist the engine in a particular area, remove the engine mount so the engine is not suspended on nothing, um, and then remove the belt, put the belt on, and put the engine mount back in place. Not for the, not for the beginner do it yourselfer. Okay. Um, a couple things I always tell people avoid repairs with dire consequences. Um, I'm not big on encouraging first time and beginner do it yourselfers doing brakes. Uh, there's some things that can go wrong, um, with either bleeding the brakes or moving calipers back into position with calipers being the component that actually is some skeletal muscle system of your brakes. Um, things can go wrong there it's like I always say, it's one thing to make, you know, put an air filter in wrong or, you know, do something like that wrong, but it's another thing to put a brake pad on incorrectly and you've got malfunctioning brakes. Um, that's not a, self-explanatory. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. Um, timing belts are one that I don't encourage. I've, I've seen a handful of guys that do timing belts on their own at home. You know, a typical timing belt is anywhere from 500 to a thousand, $1,100. 
Um, it seems like a lot of money, but the problem is if you get one gear off when you're putting that timing belt on, you'll bend valves and immediately do $2,500 worth of damage to your engine, mm -hmm. just like that. So I don't encourage people to do timing belts themselves. Um, next one, water pump. Not a big uh, fan of uh, doing water pumps by yourself. Um, I would stay away from that. If you get that wrong, you get air in the system. Uh, the other one is wheel bearings and hubs. That's what your car rides on. Not a big fan of people doing that by themselves. Okay. I've seen some guys do it, but I, I would abstain from it if possible. Okay. Next thing, obtain proper tools. We're, we're going to get through this list and you're going to go, I don't really want to do this stuff myself. <laughs> obtain proper tools. You want to get a complete socket wrenches, including swivel sockets with extensions. Um, complete set of open end and box wrenches. Always good to have them working on a car. There is no technician in the world out there that can survive without these things. Uh, screwdriver and pliers. There, and there you got to know if the car is English or metric, yeah. right? Yeah, all good techs have metric and English. Yeah. Everybody has those, exactly. Uh, good screwdrivers, pliers, and actually good vice grips. It's always a good tool to have around if you're a do-it-yourselfer. How about a big hammer? Uh, maybe so. Yeah. It all depends on what you're doing. Uh, you do want to get a special tool for oil filter removal, especially for those guys that have over-torqued them on there. Um, sometimes you can take them off by hand. We've got to the point where our guys can take most of them off by hand just because they know how to torque them properly. So you ever had to drive a, a screwdriver through an oil filter and get it off that way? I don't think I've ever seen that done, yeah. but I'm sure it's been done. Uh, start the repair early in the day. So if you need to run to the shop, it's kind of like a plumbing job. You're usually at the hardware store three times a minimum. Mm -hmm. uh, preparation, repair manual, and you know, a good one to go to is YouTube. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of people go to YouTube on how to do procedures mm -hmm. and they'll sit there and watch videos. And I did it with my motorcycle and a couple other things in my, in my life. So, um, but YouTube is a good one. Okay. Here's a big one. Men out there, the ones that are afraid to ask for direction when going on a trip, don't be afraid to ask for help. <laughs> if something goes wrong. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had cars come in on the tow truck and jobs went wrong and we just smile and put them back together for them and, and know that it was a learning experience for the person who tried to do it. Um, the catch is when something like that happens, there's, there's a, there's a memory process process that's learned by the technician. When they take something apart, they know where parts are. They've got specific procedures on where they're going to put things and all that. But when a customer comes in with a box of stuff, it's really difficult from a brain standpoint to sort this stuff out. So it typically takes a, even a good tech more time to go, okay, well, where are we at here? What, what's going on? Um, how do we restart this thing? But again, don't, don't be ashamed to ask for help if something goes wrong. Otherwise you got to pitch the car and throw it away. So questions so far. How many times have you known someone to tear down an engine, put it back together and have parts left over? Uh, not, you know, anymore with the newer cars, you just don't see things like that happen like you used to. Uh, used to have that happen very often. Oh yeah. used yeah. to think there's guys like that that did that, tear the house, they tear down, the engine down, put it back together, they got parts left over. And I always yep. thought, you know, you do that enough times, you'd have enough parts left over to build another engine. <laughs> um, I'm not a big fan of that, but uh, I just don't like stuff laying around like that. So, okay. So, um, when you do this. Obviously, confess. Be as open as you possibly can with the, the the advisor or the technician. Tell them exactly what you've done, what you've done wrong, right. Um, don't try to hide anything. It is what it is. You made the mistake and move on. Um, I call that tuition. Okay. Bring the parts in one box. Try to explain everything as best you po possibly can with the parts um, and go from there. So it's over and done with. Move on. 
Okay. You're not the first. You won't be the last. You mentioned tuition. It sounds like intuition. It could be that too. Which is your wife saying, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. I've heard a lot of wives say that. <laughs> I've heard a lot of wives come in the door. Take it to Beachlers. Don't do that. Take it to a good shop. Okay. Uh, lastly, uh, what do you do with all that stuff that comes from your engine, all those fluids? So I'll run down the list. Oil, you've got to properly dispose of it. Okay. Gasoline, you've got to properly dispose of it. I think there's only one place in Peoria that you can properly dispose of gasoline. I can't tell you how many times I get people to walk in the door and go, hey, I got my old gas from my mower from last year. What do I do with it? And I go, oh, hang on just a second. There's two gallons. And I go, I go back to one of my techs and I go, hey, Dale, there's two gallons of gas. And I tell the customer, here's what we're doing. Oh, wait a minute. Why wouldn't you just put that in your car? That's what he does. Okay. He goes and puts it in his car and puts it in his tank because the customer, quite frankly, doesn't want to use the, the gas anymore. And I say, okay, it's it's probably okay to put it in your car. Nope. I don't want to do that. Okay. Here you go, Dale. Here's two gallons of gas. Um, gasoline, you got to properly dispose of or put it in your tank. It, we really look at that as parts per million. You know, you're putting a gallon of old gas in your tank and you got 15 gallons of new gas in there. It's a mixture thing. It's not a big deal put it in your gas gas tank if you'd like. Um, transmission fluid, properly dispose of. Power steering fluid, you got to properly dispose of it. So either take it into a place like, um, you know, like an advanced auto or something like that, that'll recycle your fluids. The one, believe it or not, you don't have to properly dispose of, you can put it down your drain, is antifreeze. Really? Yeah. So coolant, you can put down your drain legally and nobody's going to come after you. So wow. I know it seems a little odd. Other states are different. Um, they got to re recycle them properly, but uh, coolant is the one you can put down your drain. So that's my wrap up for the do-it-yourselfers. Wow, that's great. Well, it'll be interesting to see if you get more people in to your shop because they did it yourself mm -hmm. and mess it up. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Good point. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today for the car guy on PeoriaLife.com. We'll see you next time. PeoriaLife.com.